Welcome to Proven Improbable, where we focus on metals, mining, and more. I'm your host, Maurice Jackson. Joining us for a conversation is the founder of 321Gold and 321Energy.com and the author of two of my favorite personal books, The Art of Peace and Nobody Knows Anything, Bob Moriarty. Thank you for joining us, sir. Thank you, Maurice. It's a pleasure to speak with you. Bob, when it comes to putting a succinct picture on the relationship with politics, geopolitics, and the value proposition it presents in the natural resource space, speculators turn to you. So I'd like to begin our discussion today uh, focusing on the political environment in the U.S. And I want to get right to the center of attention, which is the current investigation of the former FBI director, the Trump administration, and its potential ties to Russia. Give us some input on this. Well, here's what's funny. When you spoke about the potential ties to Russia, that's the weak point in the entire argument for all the verbiage and ink that has been uh, expended. There isn't a single indication, there is no proof of any connection to the Russians having anything to do with either the Trump administration or the election. Now, that said, there was nominal contact with Russian ambassadors, such as Jeff Sessions, who was a senator, and it would be perfectly appropriate for him to speak with the Russian ambassador, but the concept that that is inappropriate is simply silly, and and sure, there would be contact with members of the uh, Trump election campaign with the Russians, as there would be with the Israelis or the British or the French or anybody else. The suggestion that the Russians hacked the Democratic National Committee has been proven totally false. That was Seth Rich. He somehow was murdered a few days later. But uh, the whole issue begs the important question. And the important question is, did the Russians uh, affect the, the election? And nobody suggests that's true. And the second question should be, what possible difference would it make anyway? When's the last time the U.S. didn't interfere with an election? And that would probably be George Washington's time. I mean, the United States gets involved in every election in the world. So we're the, we're the ones that are most guilty of what we're accusing the Russians of. There isn't a shred of evidence saying they did anything that was inappropriate. And in, in fact, there is some evidence that the Israeli connection was a lot more important than the Russian connection. So it's much to do about anything. What's more important is you have a soft coup d'etat in progress where the deep state, the media, Hollywood, is trying to depose Trump. And, and sooner or later, I think they're going to win. And I've never seen such a vicious attack on a president and I have to tell you I'm I'm I didn't vote for President Trump but I have to tell you I've never seen such a vicious attack by the media on the Trump on President Trump himself and his administration and I'm just curious what would be the benefit for Russia to have a Trump administration versus a Clinton administration do you see a difference in the two for yeah, absolutely I was convinced and I remain convinced that if Hillary Clinton had actually been elected president, we would have had World War III start before she was came into office. 
She made it crystal clear that Russia is the enemy and she wants war with Russia. Uh, the interesting thing is that Trump's position as a candidate was we want we want peace and we don't want trouble with Russia and we need to speak with them and we need to sort things out. And that makes a lot of sense. I mean, the Russians are not bad guys. They haven't threatened the United States in any way. They haven't conducted any acts of war. And we're actually conducting acts of war against the Russians. I do not want to see the United States involved in any war. I was against the war in Libya. I was against the war in Iraq. I was against the war in, in Afghanistan. I'm against the war in Somalia. I'm against the war in Sudan. Uh, these are all meaningless and useless wars that are only being fought for the benefit of the deep state. It's like Vietnam. I was there for two years. We were not fighting to win the war. We were not fighting to make Vietnam a better place for the Vietnamese or for the Americans, for that matter. We were fighting the war to fight the war. That's very good for Lockheed. It's very good for general dynamics. It's very good for the war machine. And it's very bad for the 58,000 American kids who came home in body bags. Yes, truly, uh, you know, uh, again, we appreciate your service to our nation, even if the circumstances weren't, uh, I would say, beneficial. Uh, maybe that's a lack of good words yeah, but there. But hang on, hang on a second, Maurice. My service in Vietnam was not beneficial to the United States. I wasn't defending the United States. There was nothing heroic about it. I was over shooting at people who had not invited me into the country, and they were defending their country. I mean, there wasn't anything good about my service. I believed all the stupid lies I was told, and I was nothing but a mercenary for the United States government. And, and to the extent that it's, I know it's heartfelt, and it's very kind of you to say, but the fact of the matter is there was nothing honorable about what I did or what any American did. It was an illegal war. It was clearly an illegal war. And I'm glad we got out. Now, let me point one thing out to you. We had talked a little bit off mic about the attack by a U.S. Navy aircraft on a Syrian aircraft. That's an act of war. And, and we've done something that's so foolish and it's so illegal. Americans are paying for the war and they're going to pay for it one way or another. They could pay for it with World War III, that they owe it to themselves to say, what's the legal basis for the United States invading a sovereign nation with a democratically elected head uh, who is no threat to the United States whatsoever? It is a criminal act. It is illegal, according to all international law. And we need to stop doing that. When we send 4,000 troops to Afghanistan, the one thing that we guarantee is some of those kids are going to come home in body bags. I don't want to see any of them come home in body bags, but I know it's going to happen. And the way to prevent it is to stop sending troops into areas where we have no tactical or strategic mission there in the first place. What Trump has done, and it happens to be illegal, he's handed the conduct of the war over to the generals. And people tend to think, well, that's an idea because the generals know the most about war. I, I'm not sure who it was that said it, but somebody said wars are much too important to be left to the military. 
the idea that the United States had started 82% of the war since World War II and lost every single one should lessen to the generals. We need to be firing generals, okay? If generals are sending our kids home in body bags and haven't accomplished anything and are squandering the treasury of the United States, we need to fire these guys until somebody either defines victory and gives it to us or says, hey, if we don't stop these stupid wars, I'm going to resign. Now, how many generals have resigned in the last 15 years because of what the United States has done illegally? And the answer is zero. I can't recall one, and you've made some very, very critical points of distinction there. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Bob, let me ask you this, and this is just a side note. We were discussing the mainstream media, and I wanted to bring to our attention, our, our listeners' attention, it is the Open Skies Treaty. If you allow me to slightly digress here, because we see this on the news frequently that Russian spy planes are near the borders of the United States, and they're flying within X amount of feet from a U.S. fighter jet. And then they just stop the commentary. And I always wonder, why is it they stop the commentary there? You've noted, uh, or paraphrased, I should say, that the mainstream media throws out a statement that is, is true, but it's pointless. And in this situation, we have spy planes, but they are permitted under the Open Skies Treaty to fly over the United States. They're allowed to do that. And we, vice versa, the United States, we are allowed to fly reconnaissance missions over Russia. It is done daily. Well, the mainstream media really should be renamed. It, it's the fake stream media. They're not telling the truth about anything. And the really interesting thing is it doesn't make any difference where you stand in the political spectrum. You could think that Hillary Clinton was the greatest thing since sliced bread. Okay, You could think that Trump is the most evil piece person in the world, or you can reverse that. And it's very clear when you listen to the media how distorted their view is on everything. My opinion is that it's the end of empire. The United States is in a rapid uh, state of decline. The media has been just as corrupted as every other system we have in the United States. Now, if you think about it, our judicial system doesn't work. Our penal system doesn't work. Our education system doesn't work. Our medical system is a joke. Our political system is even a bigger joke. We have nothing that works. Nothing. You can walk into any church in the United States, listen to the preacher speak on Sunday, and how many of them have got the guts to say, hey, wait a minute, what are we doing in Libya? What are we doing in Iraq? What are we doing in Afghanistan? They don't even ask the question. They've turned into a bunch of harmonica playing monkeys, okay, who are sitting there waiting for somebody to cost coins into the basket. Now, somebody needs to stand up and say, wait a minute, we need to stand for something. We need to obey the, the Geneva Convention. We need to obey the Nuremberg trial laws. We need to stop waging war on everybody that we feel like it, especially given that there's nothing we're gaining out of it. Now, if we went into Iraq and we seized a trillion dollars worth of oil over the next 20 years because they had done something terrible to us, I wouldn't particularly would be against that. But no, we're spending $50 a gallon, okay, to, to have fuel for our vehicles in Iraq 
or in Afghanistan, and that is totally insane. You're in a country that generates fuel at $10 a barrel. I'm sorry, 10 cents a barrel. But what we've done is we've gone terribly far astream. We're just doing things for the wrong reason. Now, let's take it back to something you and I are more interested in. When you're in a collapsing empire, what do you do? And the answer is very simple. You have to take care of yourself and you have to take care of your family. And one of the ways to do that is to invest in something real. Now, you had sent me a list of things that we need to talk about, one of them being raising interest rates and bonds. The United States is bankrupt, okay? We have uh, 18, almost $19 trillion worth of debt. If interest rates rose 100 basis points, we would be spending... 50% of the revenue of the United States just on interest payments. So we have this bizarre situation where the policy of the United States is to penalize savers and to reward consumers. Now that is not the basis for a stable economy. And the economy is coming unglued. You can look at it, the number of stores announcing closing to every week. And you realize that the United States is just... Uh, we're in a train going down a hill at a 45 degree angle with full power ahead and we're gaining speed faster and faster and faster and the conductor saying so far so good well I know what's going to happen when the train hits the bottom of the hill and there's going to be a giant crash and to the extent that every intelligent person I know is well aware of it. Now, is the crash going to be tomorrow, or is it going to be next week, or is it going to be next month? I don't know. But I know that we are in a slow-motion crash, and people need to take action to protect themselves. Certainly, you can't go into a bank with $50,000 and deposit it and get any kind of a real return. If you deposit $50,000 into a bank tomorrow, doesn't make any difference. When you get your money back, you're going to have less money in terms of real buying power. So literally, you're paying money to have people steal from you, and that just doesn't work. It certainly doesn't. And so what would you say is the viable solution here? Is it the procurement of precious metals? Well, uh, uh, the solution is let it crash, okay? The protection, the insurance policy is to own something real as opposed to something paper. Uh, Mark Faber is a really interesting guy, and I've listened to him speak at half a dozen gold shows, and he says, but everyone should do is they should buy a million-dollar T-bond, and they should frame it and put it on their wall. And when their grandkiddies come to visit, they should point to the T-bond and say, that used to be considered money. And of course, that's true. Okay, those T-bonds are pieces of paper, and they're considered money, but they're not money. I don't know what gold's going to go to. I do not predict $5,000 gold. I don't predict $50,000 silver. I think all the people who try predicting prices are lunatics. I don't think any of them will ever be correct. What you're doing is you're predicting chaos. 
gold, silver, platinum, and rhodium, palladium are protection against chaos. I mean, I, I think there's seven cents worth of nickel in a U.S. nickel, and that cannot be a bad investment in any terms whatsoever. You just wonder what you're going to do with a ton or two of U.S. nickels. But, uh, yes, you need to protect yourself, and you need to protect yourself by taking out an insurance policy, and gold and silver make a good insurance policy. $17, $18 for, for almost an ounce of silver is a really good deal, and the idea of having some of these in a drawer is a good idea, and having American silver dollars or silver quarters or $5 gold pieces. Uh, everybody... Has the in, everybody that has a car has the insurance on the car. You don't actually want to collect on the insurance. You didn't buy the insurance because, well, let's see, I got a $20,000 car and I hope that I crash because then I get $20,000 back from the insurance company. We know we don't want to collect on insurance, but you get insurance anyway, whether it's required or not, because it's stupid not to have it. Well, would you have insurance on your family's financial future? I, I think you would be very foolish not to have insurance. Now, notice I'm not talking about gold's going to $5,000 an ounce because we're bankrupt and, you know, we're going to run out of gold tomorrow and they're never going to make any more. It's all nonsense. It's just simply not true. We got a 70-year supply of gold above ground. Comex isn't going to default. There's no such thing as a naked short seller. Investors are told a lot of nonsense, but if they will listen to common sense and use the information that they always already have, it makes sense to have insurance. It makes sense to have insurance on your, your life. It makes sense to have insurance on your car, on your house, and on your financial future. Now, in reference to the insurance right now, which insurance has your attention? Gold, silver, platinum, palladium, and you mentioned rhodium. Well, I, I wrote a piece about a month and a half ago. Um, platinum had gotten to a $350 discount to gold. Silver was at a ratio of 75.5 ounces of silver to an ounce of gold. And I, I talk about this in the book. The price of Wheaties is related to the price of Cheerios. And if the price of Wheaties doubles, the price of Cheerios is probably going to go up. Uh, three times since then, the, the discount of platinum to gold has bounced off the $340 range. It costs more money to produce platinum than it does to produce gold. Platinum has far more commercial value than gold does, and the $350 area is the cheapest it's ever been relative to gold. Likewise with silver, over the last 100 years, the ratio has averaged 53 to 1. So when the silver goes above 70 or 80 to 1, and it goes down to, say, 30 to 1, at 70 or 80 to 1, silver is cheap, and at 30 to 1, gold's cheap. One of the things that makes a lot of sense in any market is buy what's cheap and sell what's dear. In relative terms, gold is expensive to platinum and it's expensive to silver. So I am absolutely a buyer of platinum and I'm looking for a good price to, to pay for silver. 
You know, Bob, you highlight these ratios in uh, your book, Nobody Knows Anything, and we'll get to that shortly. Now, on your sites, 321gold and 321energy.com, respectively, you provide very comprehensive insights on junior mining companies that offer truly amazing value proposition for speculators. Which ones have your attention at the moment? Uh, well, one of the ones that you actually visited was DNI, and they've got a graphite project in Madagascar, and I unfortunately had had a stomach upset and couldn't make that trip. I really want to get over there in August, but I bought some shares in the open market. I participated in placement. There is going to be a transition in the next 10 years that we can't even imagine where we're going to transition to electric cars that are computer-run. Uh, they're going to be self-driving vehicles. The same thing is true of aircraft. A, a electric vehicle using batteries consumes, I think, six times as much copper, but the batteries require three minerals that are in shortage. Uh, they require graphite, and they require cobalt for most of the lithium batteries, and they require lithium. I think the demand for all three of those commodities, now these are not commodities, they're in shortage. I mean, that's what's very important to understand. We know where there's lots of lithium, there's no shortage of lithium. We know where there's lots of cobalt, and we know where there's lots of graphite. However, the demand is increasing far faster than we can increase the production. So uh, investing in companies that are in one or all three of those commodities could be extremely attractive. Now, I don't know who it was, Jim Dimes or somebody came out and started lithium boom and then started a graphite boom and started cobalt boom. And all those commodities have come back to where they were before. So they're very cheap now and there's a number of good companies in cobalt, a number of good companies in lithium and a number of good companies in graphite. So I think there's a lot of opportunity there. There are some things that you can say are true and they're generational. I mean, there are things that are going to last for 15 or 20 years. In 1999 and 2000 and 2001, I was beating the drum for gold and silver. And in fact, you know, silver got down to $4 an ounce, gold got to $2.52. Uh, they were generational. And, and you know, gold at twelve fifty. If you bought it at nineteen hundred, you're very upset. But if you bought it two fifty two, you're just laughing. I was buying silver at four dollars and at four and a quarter and four and a half. I bought a lot of silver under five dollars an ounce. I don't care if silver goes down tomorrow; it doesn't affect anything at all. You need to buy things when they're cheap and sell them when they get expensive. Lithium's cheap, cobalt's cheap, graphite's cheap. You need to buy it now. These things go up five or tenfold. Sell them and take your profit and put it into something else. You know, and we just want to echo what you shared in reference to DNI Metals. We did have an opportunity to uh, visit the site, and Dan Ware, the CEO there, has done a remarkable job there. And the value proposition is quite enticing. Uh, we'd encourage uh, listeners to please take a look at the interview we conducted, and I know you share uh, material in reference to DNI Metals as well. How about some other companies? Well, I'm going to see a company in Japan in a week called Irving Resources, and it's a really interesting opportunity. Uh, it's important that investors place 
the opportunity and figure out what is what is an opportunity. Here's what happened. There was a company called uh, Gold Canyon run by Keiko Levinson, assisted by Quentin Henney. And they got bought out by Keith Newmeyer, First Mining Finance. Uh, their shares had gotten as low as nine and a half cents, and I was beating the drums when the stock was 10 cents a share, saying that's a hell of a deal. And I, I think First Mining Finance got up to a dollar and a half or something like that. Keith Newmeyer came in, and for a share of Gold Canyon, he'd give you a share of First Mining Finance. So anybody that bought a 10 cent share had potentially a 1,500% return. Well, there was another side kicker to the deal. They had some projects in Africa, and they had some potential projects in Japan, and they spun off these projects into another company called Irving. So if you had 50,000 shares of Gold Canyon that you bought at 10 cents a share, you ended up with 50,000 shares of First Mining Finance, but you also ended up with 3.3% of shares in Irving Resources. So you were handed a share certificate for 50,000 shares of First Mining Finance, and you were handed a share certificate for 33, or let's see, 330 shares. Is that right? No. Uh, 3,333 shares of Irving Resources. So you had tons of people who had tiny amounts of shares in Irving, and they've looked at it and said, well, you know, I got these shares for free, and I made a lot of money on Gold Canyon at First Money Finance, so I'll just dump these Irving shares on the market. So they've done that, and you can continue to pick up these shares in small amounts. That stock doesn't trade much, 5,000, 10,000 shares a day. However, if you go back and if you look at the news releases, they have had assay results as valuable as $23,000 to the ton. <laughs> the, that, repeat that, please. $23,000 to the ton of ore. Now that's crazy, okay? If you're talking about a heat leach gold mine in Nevada at 0.8 of a gram, okay, a gram of gold right now is worth about 40 bucks, so 0.8 of a gram is 32 bucks. You can make money at $32 a ton in Nevada in a heat leach. Now if you got $23,000 to the ton, you could make money with a hammer and a chisel. <laughs> yeah. The highest grade gold mine in the world is in Japan. I mean, obviously, they're on the ring of fire, and they're on the most active part of the ring of fire, and they've got this subduction going where, where one piece of land is going underneath the, another piece of land at a tune of a couple inches per year. It generates enormous heat, the heat moves fluids around containing minerals. Highest grade gold mine in the world is about 40 grams to the ton. It's called a Hitchikari mine in Japan. So every ton of Hitchikari ore is worth about $1,600. Uh, Quentin Henney has done some grab samples in Japan and picked up pieces of rock sitting on surface that were worth $23,000 a ton. 
I'm going over there in a week. I'll be there for two or three days, and I'm going to take a very big suitcase with me. <laughs> I'm going to uh, mail you my suitcase as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, but the, there's it's an excellent chance. These are mines that were in production in Japan up until 1943. Uh, there have been no drilling. There's been no modern exploration whatsoever. Japan is changing how they view foreign investment, and the, the company has incredible potential. Yeah, you know, Bob, uh, a mutual friend of ours, Giant Bandar, he is very high on Irving as well. So uh, great minds think alike. Uh, uh, no, that's not actually how it works. Great minds run in the same gutter. <laughs> I'll have to use that. Uh, let me ask you one more issuer here. How about Rise Gold? Uh, Rise Gold is in an interesting situation. I own a bunch of shares, and... Uh, they've got a gold mine in California. They've actually got two or three gold mines in California. Uh, no question whatsoever. It's very high grade. It's uh, half an ounce up to an ounce to the ton. No modern exploration whatsoever. They put this package together. And unfortunately, they just released a news release saying they're not going to drill until fourth quarter. And investors took that as a negative and sold the shares off. Uh, there's a lot of negative things about California, but one of the things you could say about a financial crash is that when there's a financial crash, people look around and say, hey, we've been doing a lot of stupid things. We need to smarten up and start doing smart things. Uh, do you know what the state motto of California is? It's the golden state. So for California to take the position that they're anti-gold mining that's like really stupid. <laughs> gold built that damn state, and gold could bring it out of the morass, out of bankruptcy, and, and start producing a lot of money and in, in income to investors, income to employees, and taxes to the government. Uh, I, I am absolutely adamant, uh, one, we're going to have a crash, and two, when we've had the crash, things are going to get much better because people are going to wake up. Uh, the state of Illinois literally cannot pay their employees and cannot pay their bills because they've all, they've told their employees, you know, we're going to give you these absurd pensions. And everybody said, boy, that's a great idea. I want to work for the state. And, and unfortunately, they've run out of money and they've run out of taxing ability. And they're going to have to go back to these people and say, hey, hey, tell you this, but we lied to you. Well, governments are all in charge of lying, okay? People go to the work for government because they're too lazy to work and too nervous to steal. And they're going to have to wake up that they can't afford to do what they've been doing. Now, based off the negative sentiment that Rice Gold won't uh, do any drilling, at least until the fourth quarter, it seems like this is a good time to purchase some shares. Would you agree? Well... If you go back and reread the book, you want to buy stuff when it's cheap. That's exactly right. <laughs> so, the strange thing is there is nothing about the fundamental story that's changed whatsoever. The stock is just as good at $0.16 cents as it was at $0.30. Cents. The only difference is it's not $0.30, cents, it's $0.16. Cents. Well, it's a better deal at $0.16 cents than it was at 30 
And full disclosure, if I may, uh, for our listeners, I made an acquisition yesterday in Rise Gold for that very reason, uh, just employing the methods that you conveyed in the uh, your book, Nobody Knows Anything. It's uh, looking at uh, issuers that are near 52-week lows, and uh, the value propositions are there, and the only thing is that the price is low, then this is a good time to deploy capital, and uh, that's exactly what I did yesterday. Well, that's a very complicated way of saying something that's fairly simple. Let me point <laughs> something out to you. What do you suppose the average range is for a stock on the TSX? What's the difference between the low and the high on average? That I don't know. It is hundreds of percent. It is very rare that a stock trades within a 50 or 100 percent range. There are dozens of stocks that were two cents a year ago that are 30 cents now. You don't have to capture 100% of the gain in a stock. If you could capture a tenth or 20% or 25% of the move in a stock in a year, you could do extremely well. We tend to overthink things. We just absolutely have too much information at our hands. Everybody overthinks this crap, and it's simple. Buy, cheap, sell, dear. And that sounds complicated, and it's not. But you just mentioned the magic word. You go to the stock watch, and you go to the stock house. What information does it give you on a stock? Well, it gives you the yearly low. It gives you the yearly high. So if a stock is a good stock and you're in a favorable environment and you'd like to own a gold junior and it's a yearly low, what should you do? Well, you buy the damn thing, okay? So if you buy it at 16 cents and it goes to 30 and it hits a new high, what should you do? Well, one of the alternatives is, hey, I just made a 100% return. You sell the damn thing. Everybody wants to look at it and say, I want to buy rice at, at 15 cents and sell it when it hits four bucks. Well, maybe it's going to do that, but I can guarantee it's going to do a 100% return in a year. So uh, you, you had talked to me and suggested I write a book about the basics of investing in, in junior mining stocks. And I've been fighting that for years, and I realized, wait a minute, I've been to four or 500 different projects. I know everybody in the industry, and I've made every single mistake an investor can make. So, yeah, I'm probably qualified to do that, and I can probably save people some other mistakes. Uh, they don't have to make their mistakes. All they have to do is not make my mistakes. So, Bob, and this kind of ties into my last question here. Are you sharing that there's a new book that we should be looking for? Well, if you keep bugging me, I'll write the damn thing. <laughs> you have my word, and I'm sure all of our listeners are ecstatic to uh, get an opportunity to read the contents of the latest book, which I'm sure you don't have a title for right now. But, uh, yeah, I do. called An Idiot's Guide to Investing in Resource Stocks. And the idiot isn't the guy reading the book. The idiot's the guy that wrote the book. Give us that title one more time, Bob. An Idiot's Guide to Investing in Resource Stocks. All right. Well, again, you've, you've made my day. Now, Bob, before we close, we've referenced your books, The Art of Peace and Nobody Knows Anything. Ladies and gentlemen, these are must-have books for your library. Bob, give us a brief narrative, and where can we buy a copy? 
Well, you, you can now buy them either on the Apple Store or you can buy them on Amazon or you can walk into your local bookstore and they can order them for you. Uh, nobody knows anything. It's a very short. It's a one-day read book on what to avoid doing and investing. And I talk about things uh, like the gold silver spread, like the, the gold platinum spread. I talk about contrary and investing. I talk about how to know when you're listening to a guy who's a con artist. If you're listening to somebody and he's talking about a comex default, he's a con man. If he's talking about naked short selling, he's a con man. If he's talking about how gold's going to go to $50,000 all by itself in a vacuum, he's a con man. If he's talking about we're going to run out of gold, we got a 70-year supply of gold. We're not going to run out of gold. So people do that. They tell people things that are a little bit true. They tell people, they're like politicians, they tell people what they want to hear. Vote for me, I'll give you a free turkey in every pot. And it's all nonsense. We know it's not true, but they tell us what we want to hear. So we vote for them or we give them our money anyway. If you want to invest, you have to be a contrarian or you're going to be a chump. Well said. And by the way, just for our listeners here, all of the aforementioned uh, comments slash tactics we do not use <laughs> proven improbable. We want you to be stewards of precious metals for the right reasons, not for the reasons mentioned above. Okay. And uh, Bob, give us your website again. Okay. It's 321gold.com and 321energy.com. And I'll throw in a short blurb on the art of peace. That was a book that I wrote 15 months ago. And it's actually two books in one. It's the story of an 18-year-old kid who joined the Marine Corps, went through boot camp in 1964, became the youngest naval aviator in Vietnam, flew 832 missions of combat, was captain of the Marine Corps when he was 22, and it's an anti-war book. There is no such thing as an honest war book that isn't anti-war. People who have actually fought in wars hate wars. And they hate it for a reason. War is not a good thing ever. War is always a bad thing. And it appears to be fun to do. The, the cover of the book actually shows the dichotomy of war, and it's very subtle. It's got a picture of an F-4, which I was flying when I was 20 years old, dropping bombs over a jungle, which I was doing when I was 21 years old. And at the bottom, it has the real story, and it's a military cemetery. If you want to understand the military, if you want to understand warfare, you need to go to any military cemetery and walk through and look at the age of the kids that died and then ask yourself, why did these guys die? What gain was there to anybody with an 18 or 19 or 20 year old kid dying? And the answer is, there wasn't any gain at all. Okay, it was a very foolish thing to do. We shouldn't have done it in the first place. War should never be the first solution. It should absolutely be the last solution. And that's not spoken from the point of view of a guy who's a pacifist. That's spoken from the point of view of a guy who is an absolute warrior and knows what he's talking about as far as war. I am terribly anti-war. I would defend my family. I would defend my country in a heartbeat. 
if it was under attack. If it's not under attack, it is not worth defending. Well, you and I share mutual concerns, and, and I wholeheartedly respect everything that you've just conveyed to us. And again, ladies and gentlemen, please make sure you get these books, The Art of Peace, and Nobody Knows Anything. And, and last but not least, please visit our website, www.provenandprobable.com, where we interview the most respected names in the natural resource space. The website, again, is www.provenandprobable.com. You may reach us at contact at Proven and probable.com. Bob Moriarty of 321 Gold and 321 Energy. Thank you for joining us today on Proven and Probable.